Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Slam Dunk Show. I am your host for this beautiful half hour, Tariq Ibrahim, and we have, as we do every week, an absolutely wonderful show for you, a, a moment for you to sit back, relax, and, and, and take it all in. So uh, today's show, so a lot of things going on in the world, as you can see. Today, the, the Prime Minister of, of Canada went to visit the American President, Mr. Donald Trump, and we are all eagerly awaiting to see how wonderful that uh, adventure was. Now, today, what we want to talk about is uh, is, is, is really a, a, an important thing. And uh, with, with all the, uh, you know, all the uh, Islamic and Islamophobic uh, claims being outside, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to actually just um, talk about that and, and, and address that head on. And what, what's really cool is that we have a, a big, um, you know, topic today. It's a, it's a topic that isn't um, perhaps easy to, to, to digest. And people may believe that this is completely a, a fabrication. But this truly is the, the, the essence of Islam. Like This is really what Islam and Muslims believe in. And it, I believe contrary to um, the perception of what may out there, um, this this will be a bit startling, I think. So before I, I, I came in, I was able to go online, search the internet, see what's going on, see what's trending, and I noticed uh, women was was a was a was a trending thing going on here, and certain women in the in, in the government, for instance. Were being mentioned and talked about, and then you know the the Islamic perception that the many people claim to have here in in Canada and in the West, and, and even in the Middle East for that matter, about what the proper outlook and perception is of women in Islam was trying to be highlighted. And I think we're trying to say, you know, what, this is a huge misconception, and this is exactly what the Islam Dunk Show is all about. So that's what we're we're really going to talk about today. We're going to talk about. Uh, a great story that I have actually it's a, it's a phenomenal story we might not f- not have all day to to discuss it because it's, it's such a good story and uh, it just happened that you know all this was happening and I was able to get this story ready for you guys so one individual wrote to the slam dunk show and she told us that as a teenager, she didn't necessarily want Islam to be piece of her identity, right? She felt that uh, it was loud, you know, fun-loving. And the, the religious people, the pious people, she didn't think they, 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 they fitted in with her. And at 14, right, her family decided to go to, to, to Mecca. And being apprehensive... And, and, and being fearful uh, that there was a concern that this visit might make them somewhat more religious or devout. But going to Mecca, and this is being recounted, was everything I never knew I needed. 
seeing the Kaaba transformed my life, and then after, and then in a, and in an effort to maintain this connection with the divine, once I had returned back to high school, I began reading the Quran in the English translation. And reading the Quran in the English translation changed me. The more I connected with it, the more I realized I had been blessed with my dynamic qualities so I could channel them for, for, for the benefit of the good, for the benefit of the community. And I became the student body president of my school. And I received an award of student of the year presented to me by, at this time, the governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was involved in leadership activities with an ever-present hope of helping my greater society understand the beauty of Islam and the empowerment of women in Islam. And I had been wearing hijab, but now I began wearing it fully and taking pride in it as a symbol of my liberation. And I experienced a newfound passion to study Islam because of the empowering message I experienced from the Quran. And to me, as a female... And I wanted all to know that Muslim women were truly liberated. And so the study began, she tells. And she said that she started to take Islamic classes all the time. And that these classes that she was taking were mainly from a particular type of methodology. And they specified that they were only authentic source of knowledge. And so started... Uh, shunning information from sources other than those I assumed were specifically approved. And I started taking uh, private classes with those I considered to be the, the most virtuous Muslim women. And what I did not realize is that I was associating religious understanding with rigidity. And those were the strictest I had decided had to be the most pious. And from these sources, I began to learn things I had never heard before, amongst which was that a Muslim woman should not really leave the home and that women should not be outspoken, particularly in front of men. The more I learned, the more I changed. I was no longer the energetic, excitable woman who shared her love of Islam with all those around her. Instead, I became insecure. I thought that God had not blessed me with all of my qualities so that I could help people around me. So the beauty of Islam, I worried that God had given me these qualities to test me in life, to see how much I could contain, how much of it I could ensure would never be seen in public. And I wrongfully realized that this was my biggest test. Hiding who I really was so I could become what Islam really wanted for me as a Muslim woman. And over this time, I learned over and over that I was temptation. That Muslim women, who I thought were very reverent, came to me to tell me that I should cover my face. And lest men would have distracting thoughts because of my existence. And I wore the, the scarf which went past my torso and already covered much of my face with this newfound realization that I could possibly be the reason 
a man commits a sinful thought and that a man and a woman should not speak unless out of absolute necessity, I stopped speaking to men as much as possible. Whereas I used to politely greet the men I would see on a daily basis at school, in classes, or the security guards in the library. And in an effort to help them see the beauty of Islam's kind interactions, I now limited my speech to only what was absolutely necessary. And a greeting was not one of them. I was the president of the Muslim Student Association at my university because no other female would accept the role. So I tried my best to be as brief and mechanical as possible when having to communicate with men. I tried to cover my face as much as possible, a task that proved difficult because my mom, a strong woman, was shocked at my sudden transformation and feared I was completely changing who I was without understanding its consequences. Now her observations of me, those shared by my father and those who had known me since childhood were of deep concern for my development and sudden drastic changes. I had gone from a woman who drove to pray Fajr and Asha every day in the masjid for a woman who regularly performed spoken word and delivered public speeches for a woman with an active lifestyle who had a second degree black belt in Taekwondo from a woman who was known for her leadership skills and ability to mobilize women to a woman who shut herself in her room as much as possible and who constantly lived in psychological fear of becoming a form of temptation to men. I was not afraid of men themselves. I was afraid my covered presence could be the reason one of them had an ungodly thought. I, on the other hand, diminished. And I dismissed the apprehension of those who knew me best and loved me most. And as painful as it was, I felt this was the path I had to take if I wanted to be a religious, believing Muslim woman. And so I made excuses for those who voiced their concerns. I believe that they simply did not know what Islam really taught. Even if many of them had degrees in Islamic law or had studied Islam for years, what they were trying to tell me was the opposite of what I was being told which was the opposite of what I thought was the truth. And aside from the religious teachers who opposed me the methodology to which I had ascribed, there was one imam who recognized the difficult path I had put myself on. And he personally continually checked in with me, reminding me of differences of opinions, of the comprehensive beauty of Islam and the easygoing nature of the Prophet I saw him as my greatest spiritual role model and mentor, but I was entrenched in my personal outlook, and I had trouble changing my perspective and habits. However, I would cling on to his words as if they were the lifeboat of a person who was drowning. And even if I couldn't get to the coast at that point... I still felt like in the future there could be a way back to the shore. And while it took time, his counsel planted seeds that stemmed and helped ground me in the stages to come. And it was around this time 
that I took a class in college titled Islam, Woman, and Sexuality. The only reason I enrolled in this class was so that I could defend Islam if necessary. In the class, I was suddenly exposed to information I have never heard before. The professor, the professor introduced certain information on women in marriage, in divorce, and in child custody. I had never heard of the issues she brought forth, but they sounded far from liberating. I had no tools through which I could defend my religion. All I knew was that I felt she was wrong and that whatever scholar she was, had quoted was mistaken or misunderstood. It was in that class, for the first time since I decided I want to quote-unquote fully live Islam and dedicate my life to it, that my faith was challenged. I began to have doubts in Islam's empowerment of women, and I was afraid to speak them aloud because I feared they would become tangible. I knew Islam was the truth, the science in the Quran, the power of its message, the miracles of the Prophet and in his life, it all resonated so strongly in my mind and heart that I knew it was from the divine. But it was painful. It was so painful considering Muslim women not truly being liberated in what I considered the most liberating religion. So out of fear, I intentionally ignored my doubts and focused on what I knew brought me spiritual exhilaration and that was memorizing the Quran. By this point in my life, I had been reading the Quran in English for about six years. And at this point, I could understand the basic message. But I knew that if I wanted to understand it in depth, that I want, and, and, and if I wanted to become a Muslim scholar, I would need to learn Arabic. And that's why after college, I was blessed with going to Egypt to study Arabic and the Quran. And there, it was the first time I finally witnessed what it was like for women, for Muslim women, to live in a Muslim-majority country where there was no huge separation of religion and daily interactions and life in general. You see, when I learned about Muslim women's true liberation being in her home, with her empowerment being her ability not to attract men, I really only saw those things in practice by certain groups in the mosque in my American hometown. I knew how to act in the mosque, but my interaction became a little more confusing when I was in the public space. Yet in Egypt, I experienced something completely different. Islam present in social interactions throughout society. In Egypt... Muslim businessmen interacted with male clients without awkward harshness and vice versa. I saw normalcy in their society, spontaneous humans' reactions to harsh living, to jokes, to social issues. Muslim women in the hijab, in the naqab, in the, the kahmir, all were part of a social fabric. My Arabic teacher was a lover of the Quran, a strong believing Muslim woman who covered her face and was a mother and she passionately would remind me of the rightful role Muslim women have in transforming society for the best and the need to sacrifice to be part of the struggle.
In Egypt, I began to find myself again. My Arabic teacher, whose knowledge of Islam I deeply respected, it helped me understand that conversation was necessary for me to improve on my language skills. And that's why I spoke to everyone all the time, including men, women, everybody. I spoke to the taxi drivers. I asked them about their stories. I stopped men from a physical fight when they were screaming over whose turn it was in line. I ran, shouting to intervene when I saw a man kicking a guy in the stomach, helped the men take care of their families' needs and traveled in microbuses full of men because I needed to go where I needed to go. I was never treated disrespectfully by men. I had to depend on them and constantly interacting with men and women of the Egyptian society to help me figure my way around and my dependency was returned with incredible kindness and professional respect. In fact, twice when I heard two different men on two different occasions calling out to me, expecting that they were trying to hit on me, I screamed in their faces, Astaghfirullah, only to see their shocked reaction and realize that they haven't even noticed I existed and were just saying something to someone else in Arabic. Yet I, being naive, expecting men to hit on me since I was a fitna. Right? Remember? That was my thought. And not really knowing Arabic, I had expected the worst from them and was trying to put them in their quote-unquote place. So after learning Arabic, this really provided me with a gateway into Islamic literature that described Muslim women in the society of the Prophet, peace be upon him. A society in which dynamic Muslim women flourished. The materials to which I previously could access in English were often poor translation from the original Arabic, or the information supporting only the viewpoint to which I chose to describe and neither did I find descriptions of righteous women who had my personality and who interacted in society. The literature I used to read supported a certain paradigm, mixing culture with religion and supporting strict gender separation versus appropriate kind collaboration. With this newly accessible material, I didn't see the woman I had become. I saw the woman where once was before I had become unrecognizable to myself. And while learning in Egypt, I was incredibly blessed to continue learning from the imam who worked with me while I was going through the changes I faced during my search for the meaning of women in Islam. It took time for his mentorship to sink into my heart and the actions, but he continued to teach me Islam's balance reminding me that God describes us as a balanced nation and that the Prophet was not given a choice between two matters except that he chose the easier of the two as long as it was not a sinful act. And he helped me understand that there is no necessarily one methodology that is the truth and helped me maneuver the differences of opinion among scholars, how they derive their legal verdicts and their influences that may impact their opinions. His mentorship was vital 
to protect me from losing myself completely while on this journey and helping me find myself again. And my return back to America was marked with transformation. I finally acknowledged what I had learned of the role of Muslim women had scared me psychologically. And I immediately tried to change myself and my lifestyle to fit some sort of image I had been told was that of a pious Muslim woman, but was not necessarily so. I finally understood that the harshness I saw in whom I assumed were pious Muslim women, in fact, had been a misunderstanding of Islam and simply a set of regulations or Islamic practice under a different cultural backdrop than to which I had been accustomed. And it's very important that I clarify that the way of life I assumed from what I learned was not completely due to, to what I learned or who I learned it from. I absolved them from my abstain tendencies. My actions may have been rooted in a personal misinterpretation of what I learned where I failed to differentiate the universals of Islam with its particular manifestations in a given culture. And it's so imperative to note that I'm not intending to draw parallels between women who choose to cover their faces and stay home most of the time with difficult transitions I went through. That's not all true. All of those women contribute to communities in incredible ways. And may God bless all of them. Such awesome women. There were so many stereotypes from so many different outsides of the Muslim community already. And it's not all my intention to add to that stereotype. The issue I encountered were not because of, of covering the face and staying at home. Rather, the issue were due to a mentality a paradigm, a methodology that I was taught in relation to my role as a Muslim woman. This individual narrative is not meant to condemn the respectable lifestyle. My personal experience should not be used to generalize the experience of other Muslim women. In the years after my return from Egypt, I was blessed to interact with quality scholars who understood our Islamic texts and our American culture, whose wisdom qualified research and allowed them to teach Islam as it related to Muslim women in ways that reflected the beautiful psychological, emotional, and spiritual empowerment of women in the prophetic society, and how best to translate that practice in North America. I was also incredibly blessed to marry my hero and beloved husband, someone who comes from a wonderful family, grounded in living the spirit of Islam. They, along with my own cherished family, relatives, and understanding friends, supported me through my slow changes and provided resources to help me find myself and the core values of Islam as they relate to my life again. I mention this to explain the absolute necessity of supportive mentors and loved ones in order to sustain positive changes. Through these experiences and the support of loved ones, I found who I truly was again. 
I found Miriam, the dynamic, assertive, energetic woman who knows without a doubt that Islam is empowering, who wears hijab for the sake of God, not for the sake of men, and who understand that the qualities God blessed me with were not meant to be locked up and hidden, but rather used appropriately for His sake. And I understand that some of you may disagree with my reflections. I understand because I once felt the same way and fully am aware of how it was the only truth to me and is for so many. I still respect you for your perspective. Even if now I differ, you are still my brother and my sister. Yet, I am approached over and over by youth, young adults who are confused, struggling to figure out who they are, and are doubting Islam in its entirely stemming from a very notion I mentioned above. They don't know how to speak about the doubts that continue to persist, nor do they know what to think when they fear spiritually bullied. Those who approach me, most are young women who are nervous about the way they hear Islam and women presented by religious figures and are struggling with doubts towards Islam's empowerment of women in the face of religious guidance that seems the opposite. This article is geared towards that group of individuals and I'm writing to you at the Islam Dung Show detailing my personal story because I did not hear one like it from women while I was struggling. What I heard was of women who became strictly devout and eventually left Islam completely or decided they could no longer wear the hijab or other related coverings and chose to remove them because they could no longer take it. While I was going through those stages, I used to wonder about those women, worrying that perhaps, like them, my faith wouldn't be strong enough and I too would change. But now, now I understand that such painful experiences might have left many women searching seeking to find comfort and healing, yet feeling stripped of the only thing they could ever have imagined finding that security in their belief. And this brings me to the points which I believe are so essential for any Muslim, male or female, to consider. And and the, the five most important issues that was brought up is that you have to understand the context and that there are differences of opinions, that it's not one way, that there's more than one opinion, that there's more than one way to look at the situation. That's number one. And number two, you need to find a mentor. Don't just take it from hearsay. Don't just accept blindly. Find somebody that can teach you, a a teacher in your masjid. Imams is not necessarily a qualified legal scholar, Simply because a person is in a type of religious position or seems religious, it doesn't mean that they're qualified to give you legal rulings. First, find that balance. Find that person that can do all that for you. And learn about the historical legacies of Muslim female scholarship. It's so important to discover the different scholars in Islam and to see how they interacted and see how they dealt with society. Right? Don't just be blindly following things. Look. Open your eyes and investigate. And even 
more important is to have a support group, have a group of people to help you. It's essential, right? It's so important for, for feeling supported through what can be very long and confusing and maybe a, a very emotional and painful process. And lastly, before times are out, understand that negative rhetoric or policies surrounding women's issues by the community or religious leaders should never be linked to the Islamic perspective of women in Islam. Islam is a beautiful religion that truly has empowered women. So review its history. Look at the scholars. Find out and you will surely find how beautiful this religion is and how beautiful it is to be a, a, a Muslim woman. That's all the time we have again for the show. I thank you so much for tuning in and I hope that this story was of benefit to you. I thank the, the sister that shared it with us and we'll see you again next time, next Monday at the same time. Subhanallah, <laughs> Wa tawasu bil haq, wa tawasu bil sabr, wa salamu alaykum.